Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome. It's Sunday Sessions, 22nd of November, 2020. So let's go. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me for our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore connecting this to within your favorite sanctuary space and it's lovely to be outside today and expressing your inspired visions from your sanctuary through your poetry, writing, art, craft, performance, problem solving or whatever your vocation is. Now today's Sunday sessions out in the surprising sunny November afternoon, uh, didn't think we'd be outside again this year, uh, it's uh, the sessions is preparing for winter folklore food and foretelling and we got some lovely uh, guests uh, coming up uh we got donna johnson and trista haggerty together they're going to be discussing their mead making and celebrating there's uh, some of donna's uh, mead there and susan farrell she's already here uh which is fantastic she's in the green room and she's going to introduce a lovely just released book my home place uh, inheritance and i'm going to wander through some november traditions that i haven't had time to go through in previous sunday sessions through this november and this is going to um, include uh, some uh, broom dancing uh, brooms and broom dancing uh, witches black cats and uh, the traditions of bringing cattle down from hill grazing as they've been sent up to the hills in Belsney. Though I'm gonna cover in the um, uh, the Clare Barren where they actually do the reverse and they're actually going up the hills now. Uh, so that's uh, interesting to cover, important thing going on. And I'm also gonna be covering the deeds of Don King of the Sea. But right now, this is really a fourth time of celebrating Sawan because um, the date of this has changed so much over thousands of years. So this fourth time, um, it's rarely even noticed this uh, in our age anyway. But this is the time when the seven cluster stars of Pleiades is rising on the eastern horizon at sunset. And it stays roughly there, right there until Imbolc. And last night, uh, it was the first night and it was clear last night and certainly you could visibly see them. But Pleiades is uh, known as the Seven Sisters, though visibly you can only really see six of them with a naked eye. You need a telescope to get all seven. And they're positioned on the shoulder blade of the uh, bull figure of the Taurus constellation. Um, so there's uh, Pleiades there, a little bit of a diagram uh, for you. And uh, this, this is not, I couldn't take a photo last night, but this is, if you can see it, there's a sort of little white blob, not the moon thing there, but right at the top, you can actually see the little bunch of stars. And that's roughly uh, what it looks like. Um, and this uh, commenced, as I say, yesterday, uh, 21st of November. But 4,000 years ago, it actually rose about the same time as the sidereal calculated Suwan cross quarter about the 7th of November. You remember I was saying, uh, on the Sunday sessions covering that, that really it was only the elite, the elite, the mathematicians who were able to work that out as far as the peasants, everybody else. Uh, they looked to the first dark moon 
um, new moon because that's something they could see. But way back in uh, the Stone Age and coming on to the Bronze Age, the Pleiades is something they could see. And that was the point, this is Sawan, and this was the rites of passage. And it's said that we're in the age of Aquarius at the moment, and that's been uh, the uh, 19th century. And uh, some astrologers and mathematicians say 1844, because a lot of things were invented then. I know the spinning jenny was one of them. And it was very much a key year for the Industrial Revolution. But about 2000 years before that was the time of big religions evolving, um, the age of Pisces. And the religions were running the show. And even with Christianity, if you think about it, uh, the bishops are going around with fish heads <laughs> on their heads. And uh, Jesus had a lot to do with fishermen and uh, fishes and washing feet, another uh, Pisces symbolism. And it's interesting having the two fishes of Pisces and the five loaves of bread uh, representing the opposite sign of Virgo. And then before that, the age of Aquarius, the Iron Age with the battle of heroes and the conflicts with tribes trying to sort out a place on the earth. And then before that, uh, if I can, uh, the age of Taurus is something for you to read there. Um, from megalithic structure building uh, through settled farming with cattle and up through the Bronze Age. And, and cattle itself became very much a currency. Uh, and it seems the megalithic sites believed uh, in, well, in cattle, they were settled farmers. So the, it's believed that the megalithic sites that were built and currently aligned to Sawan, thinking of the Mound of Hostages uh, in Tara, and also is it Ken, always getting the wrong way around, Ken L at uh, La Cruz. But there's a wonder, were they actually aligned to Pleiades? Uh, because that would have been about the same time. And there are several UFO and alien theories of that time due to a belief there's actually an Earth-like planet inside Pleiades. And there's, uh, there's a kind of mythology that visitors came from that planet to the Earth at the time that they built the megalithic structures and how that's how they could move uh, the big stones and so forth. But really, the archaeologists and anthropologists have not dug up any evidence of that yet. So it's very much in storyline. Anyway, I'm going to continue with the November traditions. I've got a lot of show to go through. Uh, these are things I'm not covered yet. And I'm only doing it this year because next year, all this is going to be in the um, the course, the she, the she water and tree folklore course that I'm doing for subscribers. Anyway, I'm doing some detail today. So we go on to um, brooms. Brooms and broom dancing. Uh, so, uh, no, that's, that's not a broom, is it? There we go. There's brooms. And um, the first image of brooms, I'm sure that most people uh, have, is of sweeping and brushing stuff away. Um, so there, there we are with someone brushing stuff away there. Let's line the pictures up properly here. And the second image, if we start thinking esoterically, is it... Uh, we, when we use a broom, we may be sweeping away negativity. Oh, I'll leave that one. That's, uh, there you are, uh, sweeping uh, negativity away there. Um, I think this one, I like this one as well. There we go. And as I sneaked in, uh, brooms are also used for sweeping a space 
usually it's the first action we do before a ritual rite of passage um ceremony or celebration and uh and of course getting to this picture at last it, it's very well known that we use a broom in weddings both for sweeping a space before the actual union ceremony and for jumping the broom uh, to embrace and further bond union at a wedding or a union ceremony and brooms also symbolic it's really symbolic of a broom handle wrapped with female bristles and there's some men with their uh, holding their male ends there uh, with some female bristles around the end. And then there's the mysterious and sometimes comical folklore of the witches flying around on broomsticks. And you might think I'm a bit late because it's past Halloween, but I'll tell you, this is an extended thing, uh, flying around in uh, broomsticks. Uh, here's another one. Uh, that's, a, that's a powerful one. That's a twin engine one. Uh, some of the males might like that, uh, considering what I just said. <laughs> um, but um, I, th I think I've missed, there's some pictures missing, never mind. This all seems to come from the, uh, which is on a broomstick, seems to come from the shamanic practice of consuming hallucinogenic substances that would be toxic and terribly fatal if passed through the s stomach. Uh, some of the, the herbs were henbane, mandrake, jimson weed. They were perhaps the most popular. Jimson weed, I remember years ago, uh, I wasn't smoking myself, but I know they were easily available from tobacconists when you got these little tobacconists, these um, small shops. You could buy uh, these jimson weed, I forget the brand name, they were cigarettes that asthmatics would smoke. And of course, some people actually would buy them to open up the cigarettes and make the tea out of them, or make a salve, make an ointment. And one story I heard at Woodstock, the Who actually drank this stuff before their performance of Woodstock. But it's actually a dangerous, it's a very dangerous thing. Uh, this is what the uh, Jimson looks like. Uh, Jimson looks like when it's growing. Um, and it's those seeds that are the toxic bit there. Um, so they're the most, but in, uh, it was said that, uh, well, really with these herbs, too toxic to actually put through your mouth and drink because uh, they were poisoned through your stomach, internal organs would be a mess. But it's said that these herbs were put onto brooms as a salve as an alternative to putting through uh, uh, with the stomach. And so it avoids uh, the self-administration and that's said to be how this was done. But of course, as we well know, during the patriarchal rule of medieval times, this was part of uh, devil worship or witchcraft, as it was said, horrific uh, things uh, going on there, uh, because uh, it was regarded as a form of fornication too. And interestingly though, uh, the first person to uh, be convicted of witchcraft and flying on a broomstick was a man. And here we go, there's a man-style man broomstick there. <laughs> um, Anyway, the, the, the fellow that was first done before any uh, women was, uh, a, let's see if I can get his uh, spelling up here, um, because it is quite complicated. I can't even pronounce it properly. It's uh, Gulliam, uh, is it Gulliam Edlin? Uh, and he's uh, an Augustine prior of St. Germain Lay near uh, Paris. So that, that's the fellow. And it said that 
he admitted to flying on a broom to satisfy his carnal desires. And uh, so he was arrested and was sentenced to life imprisonment. And that was in 1433. Um, but back to our own regular broom users, um, back to the photographs here. Um, the broom users here, uh, here we go. Uh, there's a sort of a man on a broomstick. Uh, but even the obvious use of broom to sweep a home, it really, I think it has a spellbinding uh, therapy. And uh, I've actually, if I got them, these are the brooms I actually use myself. This is Old Faithful. Um, I'm gonna, it's not really the regular materials. This is made from rushes. It's getting very worn out, but I, I, I don't ride around on it, obviously. Um, I guess used a lot in the cottage. Uh, but that sort of lost its popularity. This isn't exactly in the tradition. But this was a present from Thailand. And uh, it's amazing. This is very ultra efficient. Uh, it's almost, you don't even have to hit the floor with this. And uh, just a light touch, and it's such an efficient. But I, if anybody knows what the material is, let me know. Very efficient broom uh, from Thailand. It's starting to fall a bit apart a bit with a handle because I do well use that one. Uh, very, very good. So that's an introduction uh, to my own uh, brooms. But, uh, I think it's quite spellbinding when you actually uh, use those. Uh, but I, um, I believe many of us unknowingly, uh, we actually use a broom to sweep clean debris from our past cycles, our past projects. After an illness, the first thing we do is get hold of that broom and uh, that's our past, get rid of the negativity. And um, there's a broom maker, a lovely uh, picture of someone making precious brooms for casting spells. And uh, there, that's definitely clearing some serious negativity there. Uh, that looks a little bit like the material of the Thai thing uh, that I showed you, the Thai broom. But um, after arguments, she looks a little bit angry over something. Uh, but we use a broom, I think, after arguments and disputes to clear the air and return peace to our space. And some precautions, though, when you use broom, brooms, if I can get to it, never fight with anyone that's holding a broom. Otherwise, it will conjure up a spell of isolation and people will be reluctant to come near you. There'll be no friends, no relationships, and never, ever sweep around people or walk around holding a broom. Otherwise, it causes tension and fights. And, and that, again, causes separation. So the best thing is just ask people to politely move. And also remember that a new broom sweeps as clean as a whistle and an old broom knows all corners. So, um, and a broom brush material, I, well, through Europe, uh, they use broom. I noticed around here, the broom, the furs, uh, it's, it's out in blossom. Last year, I don't think it did. It's, it usually does come out in November and it's looking beautiful in the sun right now. And also um, heather and birch twigs are used. The handle around where we are, hazel is perhaps the most common. Hawthorn used if you're using rites of passage brooms and willow is good. 
and at least Willow's used uh, to tie uh, the brushes uh, as well. Oh, well, that's like the one I got. And that's really like a USA one, uh, using broom corn, uh, sorghum, and that's, and they become popular. And I think they use uh, pine handles uh, with those, um, made some comments, USA people, to say um, what you use on those. But um, I think uh, that's enough uh, on brooms. And I was saying broom dancing. And this is a video, if I can get right down to it, uh, find its location. Uh, I had a group of people from Australia. It wasn't far off this time of year. And it's very relevant for this time because after harvest time, there's the straw. And we were at the Ochakili Maud uh, Mummers place in Fermanagh. And they were having a straw workshop. We had these people from Australia that popped in and it was lovely. And they were, they were doing thatching because thatching repairs are done at this time, ready for the winter. And then uh, the various helmets uh, for the mummers celebrations, which I'll be talking about uh, in a couple of weeks time on Sunday sessions. And they'll be making little lovers knots and all kinds of stuff. And uh, they were just sweeping up after the session and uh, one man, Desi, uh, after and in the middle, he was just sweeping away and clearing it up. Uh, and uh, this was very impromptu. You might have seen this professionally on stage, but this is what happened uh, when they were clearing up. I trust. Spontaneous um, broom dancing. Well, I've been rude. I haven't said hello to uh, who's around. And uh, good day to uh, Shell. Lovely to see you again. Uh, same here, sunny and chilly. Uh, perhaps it's more chilly where you are. Lovely to see you. Elizabeth, hello for being here. And uh, Sherry, hello. Uh, I don't know if Claire's uh, on yet. She said she'd be joining on, but uh, she's in Dublin, uh, Sherry. She might be logging on, but she's not live uh, today. And Donna, who's going to be one of our guests, uh, 
Oh, I see her in the green room. Hello, Donna. Room on a broom. I love that story so much. <laughs> right. And uh, there's Monica. Hello, Monica. Hello there. And uh, she, my mother used to perform the broom ritual every day, sweeping every corner of the home. I Yes, definitely. Uh, definitely. I think, as I say, when I use the brooms I showed you, uh, magic always seems to happen. And there's Robin here. Robin's been to the cottage here from uh, Austin. Love to you as well uh, there, Robin. Love to uh, see you here, uh, or uh, fabulous. Now, um, what have we got on uh, next? Now on to the witches themselves. Talked about the broomstick. Some people think, ah, we'll play past Halloween. Wait and see what we're going to see. And there are various genders. Here's a witch here. And that's my daughter, actually. <laughs> uh, that's my daughter. Very well done. That was done a couple of uh, sort of Halloweens ago. And that was uh, actually done by the prosthetics uh, director of Lord of the Rings, because my daughter worked with Lord of the Rings and got to know the crew. So he did that. Uh, he did her up to look like that for one Halloween. Uh, what an amazing job. Eh? <laughs> um, but um, women, uh, really, uh, if you think about it, when the past childbearing age, they become wise women and uh, move on from being mothers to crones. And this is something that kind of explains that. And to me, this is really what the whole thing we call witchery uh, really is about. Um, so really, uh, Halloween is not just, uh, I mean, witches are not just Halloween imagery, but they're a whole cycle of every part of the year, and especially this uh, regenerating time, transformation time between the Sawan uh, and Imbolc, uh, which is what we're in now. So it's the time really when herbs are gathered, they're being dried, made into salves, extracts, decoctions, concentrates, vinegar, soaps, smudging sticks, and blessing aids. Uh, very busy time for the so-called witches. And it's perhaps the time perhaps the most healing and most intense uh, affirmations uh, when they're made. And uh, unfortunately, of course, as I did mention earlier, the whole late medieval slaughtering of witches, very, very sad. Uh, women of child, uh, once they were past childbearing age, it seemed like they were doomed before they even generated their new power of their life calling. And it's it's quite uh, it's quite heartbreaking when you think that um, eighty thousand women through Europe were killed though, between about fourteen fifty and fifteen fifty, all accused of being witches. Most of them were actually uh, killed off in Germany, and the least uh, were in Ireland. Uh, very very sad times, and when you think about it, they were just killed off just for being women. They weren't devil worshippers. Um, they were just wise women, women. So to me today, it seems uh, several women today who go around calling themselves witches, they seem to be branding themselves something like uh, Instagram influencers. So uh, there's some Instagram witches for you. And as a male, I'm going to dare to share nine practices of witchery uh so let's see how i get on with this well to me um it seems witchery practice is very much reclaiming the pride of women 
and discovering trust in understanding the secret abundance of what their surroundings are. Uh, setting intentions, setting up a comfortable small sanctuary for doing this. And I see this uh, practice as being, um, as bringing a live power to yourself rather than being sentenced to some kind of uh, servitude. Here's the sanctuary. There we go. That's what I wanted. Throne power. That's the picture I needed up for that one. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of pictures today. Anyway, witchery does not need to be full of fancy crystals and crystal balls. And tools, uh, it really is tools that you got around, uh, especially in your garden. Uh, and jabroon, of course, much more essential than uh, crystal balls. And witches don't need uh, to be women either. Uh, men usually call themselves something else. And there's a, a couple of <laughs> a couple of male witches. Uh, there's uh, another one there. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, the calling does does seem to be very much stronger in women, though. Uh, the crones, as they uh, a calling that comes after being the mother. And uh, well, that's a local crone. <laughs> that's uh, Jan, who's who's a neighbour who sometimes dresses up as a witch, but. The way she actually lives her life is kind of a lot of an inspiration in what I'm talking to you about now. Uh, if you're here, you'll have to meet her sometime. Uh, although she's kind of isolated in this uh, COVID, COVID time. Um, there we go. So, witches don't even need to be called a witch. And I think that's a fun title to work with. And that's what I tend to think the witch title is. Uh, and some women are proud to call themselves witches, and they're very protective of that title. Maybe it's a respect and a relief that by being a witch today, you're not going to be burned at the stake. So it's a sort of a proud thing. Now, for those who call themselves witches or not witches, the kitchen is definitely the workshop. And there's, there's one kitchen there. I love that uh, artist's impression. And there's a real active. This isn't Jan's kitchen, but if you went into Jan's kitchen, earlier it's very much like this anyway as for divination spells and all the stuff that goes in the kitchen i'm going to have another sunday session on that there's going to be plenty of stuff uh, on the course that i'm doing also you don't need to be born into ancestry of witches though the teaching from relatives um, it can help and it looks like a passed down book there and focusing on hexes I think that's a bad idea. A hex is an action based on anger and revenge inside. And how can that ever make anyone happy or have a good outcome? I think it, letting go is much more the answer for that. There's someone trying to brew a hex there, I think. Anyway, white witches, black witches, forget it. I mean, the, the whole thought of white and black and divisions, that's what it is. It's like a spell of division. Again, I don't think that's very beneficial, is it? But as for the black pointy hat, I have to bring Jan on again, even though a pointy has uh, gone down. I don't know. I suspect this was a fashion statement that came out of uh, the 19th century Celtic romantics. And maybe it was a mockery at the time against the top hat Christian. So top hat Christian is a kind of a snobbery, something about that. Anyway, overall, so on to Imbolc times, the most potent time for crones, 
whatever they call them, the wise women um, representing the human morphing of the kayak. After all, if you think about it, who puts the most energy into putting Christmas together? I think there's a clue there. Uh, let's uh, see how your comments are getting on here. Let's see who's joined us. Uh, Monica, yes, very, uh, saying, yeah, that was very sad. Uh, definitely on that. Um, anyway, I move along here because we've got these lovely guests to bring on. And um, black cats. Uh, I can't go through brooms and witches without black cats. Uh, I, got a, I got a few cats. And I can't really be going live on Facebook without a few cats, can I? I've been bringing in cats lately. But most uh, cat folklore stories seem to be about bringing bad luck on people. So I'm, I suppose I better cut those out. We don't want any bad luck on this Sunday. Um, so anyway, cat is a witch's familiar. I love the folklore of their cat being the connection to the she-world. Look at this one, she's got two cats. Uh, some of them do, of course, a lot of them have. And uh, the cat seems to be becoming their guide, uh, their inspiration, their nourishment of trust and confidence. And uh, there's Donna, who's going to come on shortly. There's her with her black cat there. <laughs> um, but the witch would never uh, go out and find a, uh, a cat. There would never, a, witch, a real witch would not buy a cat. A cat is some has to arrive at the doorstep, or a family member give them a cat. Those are the cats that have come to be the familiar in my mind. Anyway, I'm going to be including more about cats in my course. Cauldrons, cauldrons—they're the other thing. As I say, I'm going through racing through the rest of these November traditions. Uh, I should mention, though we're familiar with cooking pots, uh, cauldrons. And we refer to them in which stories uh, we read about them. But really, I think, oh, I forgot to bring it out here. I was going to bring one of uh, Michael Quirk's um, works carving. Sorry, I haven't brought it. Uh, oh, here comes Trista now. She's going to be joining. She's going to be bang on time. Uh, if any of you are familiar with the storytelling sculpture, Michael Quirk, he does this beautifully. And the whole idea of the womb. And I've got this um, Morrigan Morn, the Corakuan figure. And she has the triple spiral with the breasts and the womb. But the womb is also featured as a cauldron. So I think when we talk about uh, the cauldron in wise women in witchery stories, we're referring to the symbolism of the womb. And in a winter context, the, the womb and the whole spell binding, the whole remix of everything uh, between the Sawan and the Imbo, the imagery of the uh, underworld stirring, mixing, and all the magic of all the debris from the, this year that's being all mixed underground and it will come up as a fresh birth uh, in spring. And uh, it's all about converting the past harvest season into the fresh, fresh brew of life for the next germination, hatching, brewing, and all the harvest cycle. I, I, as I say, I always talk in terms of cycles on these sessions. One thing I'm going to uh, cover, there's uh, just one last thing before we bring our lovely guests on. Uh, I see there's a few more comments going on here. Uh, Donna <laughs> talking about her kitties, uh, or actually the kitties were. Uh, there we go, Donna's were rescue cats. Uh, very good. 
as I say, we did uh, feature uh, Donna's uh, cats there. Brilliant. I'm glad that you sent that photo uh, through to us. But I'm going to feature one more thing. is the cattle movement that goes on uh, this time of year. Um, let's get myself to the little picture collection, make sure I've got this right. Uh, and uh, it's a Sawan tradition. This, this really is a tradition from uh, ancient times. Um, it's an annual uh, cycle of cattle movement and it's a care uh, driven out of the uh, towns known as transhumans. Very complicated word. Do I have a, a thing on the banner for this uh, as transhumans? Let's see if I got a little banner notice. Yes, I've got the spelling of it. Let's see if it, you might be familiar with it. If you're farmers, your hill farmers, there's the uh, transhumans uh, there. Uh, let's get rid of, uh, let's see, transhumans. Uh, there we go. I want to, I'd like you to see the full pictures if you can. And there, that's, uh, that's very much a Scottish thing. Um, because at uh, Beltona, the cattle, uh, they're driven uh, between the fires to singe off the winter bugs. You know, the two fires tradition, uh, drive the cattle through uh, at Sawan. And the heat of that singes them because they're, they're coming out of their winter storage or the low fields at uh, that time. And they're being sent off up into the hills uh, for their uh, mountain grazing, hillside grazing. Uh, but in uh, they're brought down from the hills at this time of uh, year, and there's this uh, whole bunch being brought down uh, the hills there. And uh, it's quite a celebration time. Some uh, some people make quite an event of it. Look at that. That's the bringing the cattle back. Uh, there's feasting, markets, also, and there's also all kinds of wooing and mating at this time. And uh, Bairns are conceived uh, during the May uh, wooing by the uh, Beltany wooing, of course. Uh, but uh, the Burren and Clare, it's the reverse. The traditional practice is, re they call it reverse transhumans. And what they're doing right now, at this time of year, they're sending the cattle up into the hills and they bring them uh, downhill in summer. And the reason for that is um, the limestone on the Clare Burren, it gets very hot in summer. You know, they're bare, anyone who's been to the Burren uh, in Clare has found. And in the summer, that heats up, it's like an oven. So it's too uncomfortable for cattle to be up there in the summer. But uh, during the winters, the heat is slowly released when they're up on the hills. And uh, the winter grazing, uh, them being up there, helps the increase of the spring flowers, which of course, if you've been to the, the Clare Burren in April, late April and May. That's what it's uh, famous for. And it's all thanks to these happy cows uh, being up there. Now in Scotland, cattle has been driven uh, from the highlands to the lowlands for thousands of years uh, for the wintering. And uh, in the USA, it's, it was always thought that the first cowboys were Mexicans uh, in Texas. But soon the, how, uh, the um, Highland cowboys of uh, Scotland, uh, they were very much in demand on the uh, Texas to Kansas cattle runs. Uh, the Chisholm Trail, there's a bit of a map there, is named after a Scotch Cherokee man. And the cattlemen of uh, Wyoming, uh, they were from Scotland as well. So it's very much the whole cowboy tradition 
came from tradition of this time of year in Scotland. And that's how crofters can make a little bit of extra catch by bringing their laird's uh, cattle down. Um, and what we got here. Uh, I'm not entering into this uh, any uh, more into this time. It's, um, anyway, there, there's some lusty cattlemen. It's a lusty time. But the Scottish uh, cattlemen, they certainly brought uh, traditions of stories, music, cowboys, and songs. And even in, in Scottish Cayley floor spots, if you're in Scotland and uh, there's a Cayley dance going on and you do a floor spot, the tradition is you do two songs. You do one traditional Scottish song and you do one country song. If you do two of one or two of the other, you get booed off. So you've got to do the two to bring uh, the balance. Uh, and uh, let's see what you've got extra to say about that. Sherry's got something to say. Uh, uh, she's got a link there. Calling, calling the cattle, that's beautiful too. And uh, which has got a lot of information regarding wicker. Uh, as I say, that, that definitely the wicker uh, has one expression of the wittering. Uh, I was going into obviously a general expression of it and on the course, uh, on the uh, she uh, water and, and tree folklore course, be going into that. But I think one thing to emphasize is, to me, I think wicker is one interpretation and it's been put into a package because uh, people, a lot of people like to follow some kind of order, some kind of doctrine. They feel comfortable in that. So it's not a knocking of wicker, but I think it's just to bring attention that is a kind of a package of it. It's not the, uh, in any way, some kind of origin, but it's certainly worthy for those that practice it. And, and there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, one more important tradition of November, and I'll do this before our lovely guests. Uh, I know this, as I say, there is a lot of, uh, show on today um, with this and uh, it was great fun putting this together but I'm going to cover Don uh, this is the time of Don Lord of the Dead and sounds very good isn't it but the story of Don starts as he was one of the seven sons of Mill uh, these are the Malaysians which I've often talked about on Sunday sessions they arrived in Ireland with 65 boats and um, there was a storm. I'm not going to go through the story of that this time. Uh, and but when they eventually got uh, shore, the tour de Dunan, uh, they pushed the tour de Dunan underground. And though there were seven of them, it was only three of them actually got to the shore uh, with a small battalion. But they still managed to push the tour de Dunan down. Anyway, I'm going to move on to that because Don was the eldest brother of the Sons of Mill, and he was the leader of that ancient invasion. But unfortunately, he was the first to drown in the great storm that the Tour de Dunham had spelled upon the sea to prevent their arrival on the shores. As I say, only three of the sons arrived on the Erin shore. But Don was a leader and, uh, well, there's a burning tree story and I'm gonna bring it up in the course. But Don's said to have come to his human end at Bull Rock. And this is a sea picture of this Bull Rock. Uh, it's a, a rock that's jutting out of the sea, west of Dursey Island, which is west of the Bearer Peninsula. You actually get to Dursey Island by going on a cable car across the sea. Fascinating experience. And, uh, and uh, from Bull Rock, and this is an interesting one because I, sh I think that shows the light, if you can see it clearly, 
the lighthouse keeper houses, the ancient ones. God, how did they build those? I don't know. But anyway, from Bullrock said that Don or Durden entered the she world and became Lord of the she, Lord of the fairies, and Lord of the dead. And um, I'm going to pull up a bit of a banner regarding the Don here. Um, there's these different names, different spelling. Where's Don Lord of the Dead there? And um, it says it uh, through November. Let's get the. But um, through November, Don and his son have transported those who had passed away during the past year. They were now put on the white horses of Don. So it's very much the same as the women she and where the women she, they go to Turin and Og. But in the stories of Don, they go to Tekdun. Um, again, I'm going to try and get a bar up uh, with all sorts of spellings for you on this one that are gone. There we go. That's, uh, that's no, uh, we want that one. Um, there we go. Let's show you that one. There's the different spellings of that. Now, I'm going to bring this one up because this is what I'm going to explain uh, as well now. Because from the Bull Rock is where is the end of the underworld. But um, there's also the Don She Circle. I haven't got a picture of the She Circle, unfortunately. But uh, this is a, a hill, Nokfirn, uh, Nokfirn, the Hill of Truth. And that's uh, Ballangari, uh, which is uh, in County Limerick. And uh, there's, there's an ancient Orm stone that was found there in 1837. It's now uh, in a farm down below. But uh, it was an indication if it was up there, they were, it was a calling to a very important place of gathering. And look at these spiral um, that's actually on the side of the stone there. You can see the Orm on the corner there, but there's an added extra of that spiral, which must have been some kind of map, must have been explaining something because as we said in the uh, stone session uh, that these are often information used for information as well so it's presumed that uh, Nock Firin was a meeting place to one of those that passed away during the past year to ensure their safe passage with Don and his sons who would take them west to Tagdun and uh, Don uh, Duan, also known as Duan uh, Ferrin. There we go. I've got the, have I got their names? I think I might have a banner with uh, all their various names there. There we go. Uh, there you go. Uh, if you need to take notes, uh, there's uh, their various uh, names there. And, uh, and it said that he controlled the weather. Don controlled the weather from this hill. And, uh, he also, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he didn't like anyone farming on this hill. So anybody he found farming there said that uh, if they brought their cattle and sheep, for instance, um, uh, they were kidnapped into the underworld. So if you dare to put your cattle and sheep on that, the Don will get you. And there's a picture of where you might have looked at and casted the weather from. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's a bit of the, the Don. Uh, other names, as I say, uh, for Don, we got them up. Don Dumach, Don Dovak, Don Dork, and even associated with the underground horn serpent, Crom Dove of the Mag Slack that I talked about 
over Lunasa. Um, and it might be that the garden cemeteries uh, Halloween, I have a feeling, were perhaps came from the tradition. Uh, well, it's a mead there. That's nothing. Uh, I'm ahead of myself, aren't I? Anyway, they it might have came uh, from the uh, that might have came from the Don tradition somehow in a roundabout way. Anyway, I've uh, it's time. I'm going to check your comments about that because we're going to bring our guests on. We're going to have fun. And uh, I, I want to be in a bit of listening mode now uh, for a bit myself because I've gone on quite a while about this. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, a few more November uh, traditions there. Rebecca, hello, back from south. And uh, uh, Wicca, the distinctions, yes, very broad. Uh, I'll be bringing that up. Uh, as I say, I didn't want to go entirely on the uh, Wicca interpretation. Well, I've, I've said all that, but uh, there's a lot of ways looking at it. But that was a good link, uh, if you wanted that. Um, and that'll be in the comments for you to copy down, which would be fabulous. All right, here we go. The bits I've been looking for. Donna and Trista, who are going to be discussing mead. And uh, this all started off uh, with a Facebook chat. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember how it started. I mentioned in about mead and talking about mead. It's very much a thing done uh, this time of year because it's a time of collecting the apples, it has been, and the honey. And this is, this is a mead celebration. So let's bring them aboard. Here we have uh, Donna, hello. Oh, I have to put my ear things on. Otherwise, I won't have a clue what you're saying. And I'm not very good at lip reading. So let's see if I can get you on. Hello, Donna. I, uh, I can't hear you yet. Hello, Donna. Oh, I, for some reason, you're muted. I don't know why. I'm going to unmute you. Hold on. Let's see if I can unmute you. No, for some reason, I got you muted. I, I don't know why you're muted. I'm trying to unmute you. Let's see, tech issues. We were going doing so well here. Uh, there's an instruction. You're muted. You've got to unmute. You're, you're unmuted, aren't you, Trista? Hello. Trista? Hi. Yeah, I can How hear you, John? Uh, Trista. Yeah, Donna, can you hear muted. me? Yeah, very clear. But Donna's got a, you've muted. There you go. I should hear you now. I think. Can you hear me? Yes, you're on. <laughs> Very good. Lovely to see you. As uh, I say, that this all came together because you're uh, mead makers. Uh, lovely to see you. And uh, I thought, yeah, there we go. You got your mead. And um, so, uh, how do we do this? Let's let's see you show off your mead. I'm going to get rid of my mug on this one, so you can actually. I'm going to remove myself. Uh, let's see how I remove me. Uh, it's how to get you two and not me. I, you know, I, I've done this before, and I should know better. No, that's just me, isn't it? Let's get you two. Uh, <laughs> I think I'll try. And 
I'm not sure where John is. Donna, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> can you hear me? Nice to connect. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think John's original post was about the. Um, I think it was wasn't it about the the reindeer um, and the antlered goddess? Wasn't yes. We started out with eggs. And the reindeer right. love. The I'm only Victoria. Right. And then somehow that spiraled in into all these uh, great recipes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had the Gather Victoria article. <clears throat> Another. Which really inspires me. So. Right. Yeah. Yes, I love that. I love that site. What kind of what kind of meat is it that you make? I started a year ago making just a plain traditional honey mead with just the very basic recipe, one gallon, three three pounds of mead, and then fill the gallon container up with water, purified water, and a cup of strong tea and some raisins, and then a half package of yeast. And it took about two months before I could bottle it, and then I waited until Beltane to drink it. I was going to share it with my group at Beltane, but that didn't happen. <laughs> So I drank a bottle of it with a friend anyway, and it had turned out really good. And meanwhile, during the year, especially after the quarantine happened, I started just getting really serious. I bought equipment. I started making the different flavors. I bought some herb blends and made one with a couple of herb blends. And around May, I, my roses started blooming. So I made a micro batch of rose petal mead. I think, see the color here, it shows up a little. They yeah, started, no, that's beautiful. And they started selling kombucha, blue kombucha, in these really pretty bottles. So they, were, they ended up being perfect for my small meads. And then I started getting a little fancier and oh. some oak cubes and vanilla beans. And uh -huh. I believe this one was started in January, January 1st, in fact. Glad I put oh, the. Wow. <laughs> and this was. I started this later. Oh, good, you can see the color. But this is real pretty. Yeah, that's a beautiful color. And then this was some, this was left over from a batch of plain mead that I made. And I just happened to have these much smaller bottles. So I actually have 
I've lost count how many bottles I have because the hope and the expectation was going to be that the COVID thing was going to be over and we would have our celebrations. You know, midsummer came and went. We drank a bottle of the cherry for midsummer and then llamas came and went. Maybon came and went. And then Samhain and when we drank blackberry mead, which I had started in March. And the latest one that I just started is made from prickly pear cactus fruit. So, oh, that sounds. I've got that one fermented, but it's not where I can move it right now. So I can't just bring it in and show it off, but it's an amazing color. So tell me about yours. Well, I'm not in a in a business with it like you are. Um, but I'm not in business. <laughs> I'm much more of an amateur, I would say. But I um, we have a lot of wild grapes and a lot of elderberries that grow on our land, wow. and so I've I just collected those over the years and. Um, made all sorts of things, syrups and jams and jellies and things like that. But um, I started making, I think elderberry was the first wine that I made. And um, and then I went to, I made dandelion wine. This is actually some that um, one of our apprentices made. We had some apprentices here this spring. And so I taught them how to make dandelion wine. But um, it really, it was it wasn't until I brought a group to Southern France and it was early in May, like a few years ago. And uh, it was just a cold, wet, rainy day. And we were climbing this mountain to see this old castle ruin. And we came back down and everyone was kind of coughing, <laughs> like chilled to the bone. And we went into the, this little restaurant and the waitress brought out what they call hippocras, which I think is probably essentially mead, um, but they call it hippocras. And every every little village um, in southern France has their own recipe supposedly for hippocras. So I came home um, and I, as soon as our wild grapes were ready that fall, I started making hippocras. And they basically put, yeah, I put wild grapes in it and some echinacea in it, um, different kitchen spices, and um, yeah, and just let it ferment. But I don't even have any of the fancy equipment to when it comes to fermenting. Basically, I have a big crock pot, and after I cook all the fruit and um, any herbs or spices that I add to it, I um I strain it out and I let it sit in this big crock pot, you know, after adding honey, of course. And that's where it ferments. And then I pour it into, into bottles like this, or I've got bottles like this. I pour it in there and then I actually put balloons on the top of the bottles. And the balloons will tell me when the fermenting is done. It's a very uh probably a very 
just a really simple way of doing it. But it's interesting because I'll have bottles lined up on my shelf with these balloons that'll be, you know, they'll be like kind of blown up. But as soon as the fermenting is completely done, the balloons just collapse. And then we know that I can bottle it. So I've got, I've got, let's see, I think this is, oh, this is a wild grape cordial. And, and then I've got like elderberry. I've got, this is my big bottle of um, hawthorn berries in here, a hawthorn berry um, tincture actually. And we also have a lot of choke cherries. <clears throat> so this is a choke cherry syrup that I made. Um, and then, you know, we were talking about all these great recipes from the Gather Victoria website and um, this wasn't one of her recipes, but I would imagine that it could be one of her recipes. I have a big jar of dried and roasted dandelion and chicory root that I, I keep in my, my herb cabinet. And uh, I made a chocolate cheesecake and I put, the, um, I put some of this roasted dandelion root and chicory root into the cheesecake and it was so good. It really added this, uh, it, it, first of all, it made it like really dark and rich looking. Um, so those are just some of the things, some of the things that I've done with wild foods. I thank you so much, uh, both of you. For, John coming for back down. The, uh, the mead and hopefully we'll have you back in uh, when talking about deer uh, in December. But. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. And that, Trista, how are you going to celebrate uh, with your mead for the rest of this year? Well, <clears throat> you can see that I've been celebrating. <laughs> 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 this bottle. Oh, so, this bottle's so almost uh, So we've not got a, a week uh, reception from you. That's just the after effect of the mead then. <laughs> 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 yeah, <Never mind. laughs> okay. uh, very good anyway i've got to uh, say bye bye to you because uh, we're getting near the end i've got uh, susan coming up oh there's some interesting sounds there <laughs> sorry that's my clock i can't <laughs> it's lovely to see you and uh, fantastic uh, that you finally came aboard donna because you're with us every week so it's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for your presentation. And uh, thank you, uh, Trista. Thank you for being on again. We'll be back with you another time. And so thanks very much. And uh, I'll say my farewell uh, just now. Thanks. Oh, that was lovely. Uh, mead making, uh, very much a tradition at that time, but these women seem to be doing it uh, all year. And now uh, moving on here, uh, Susan Farrell. Uh, it's only a few days ago she came out uh, with an amazing book. Let's see if I can get the cover. Uh, I haven't got the physical copy, so I rushed out when it got released a few days ago. Uh, absolutely delight. I went straight for the uh, uh, the ebook. Um, My home place inheritance. Absolutely fabulous. It's, it's a very clever book uh, from Susan. Uh, she's uh, what she's done, it's like a, a, a diary, it's like a journal, a journal that goes back uh, into days past. And uh, it's this story that follows kind of her lifestyle. And 
you get all these visions and the moment you've got the vision you're into a kitchen and suddenly some food's being made and lo and behold there's the recipe up in the book there it is and uh, then the story moves on and there was so much in this book i could relate to that was very much of my own uh, childhood and i said susan you know she's going to be back on with us to talk more about the book and i said you've got to introduce this book briefly uh towards the end of this session so i'm going to bring on uh, susan hello susan thanks for being here and, and waiting and uh, to say absolutely delight so please give us a a wee introduction to this new book that you've got out absolutely fabulous oh and, and thanks for the platform john i've really enjoyed uh, the session this afternoon and it made me realize where I was coming from with this book. I've called it my home place inheritance. And um, I inherited a lot of cookery traditions. Um, and what kicked me off in the book was I was recovering from cancer about seven years ago. And somebody told me to make broth, uh, shin bone broth. And that's what kicked the book off. And after listening you know, this afternoon, I've realized, and, and some of the things you said this afternoon, the kitchen is the workshop. The kitchen is absolutely the workshop um, altogether. This is how I, I got myself to recover from cancer. But there's also the family story behind it and how my grandmother, my two grandmothers and my parents and, and generations before them had to look after their health and their well-being and also their fun uh, from the kitchen table so that that's really what the book's about and i wanted to share a lot of these traditions and a lot of the recipes and just listening to everybody this afternoon i realized there's so much more stuff there um my grandmother who's mentioned in the book my nana wiley she would have went straight for a, a jar of black currant jam whenever somebody had a cold and apparently black currants have more um more of those uh I, I can't remember what they're called the agents in them that kill viruses and colds and uh, free to kill free radicals black currants have more than blueberries um, now, so, sorry for a moment yeah i've just realized i was going introducing your book and i had my microphone off so i was talking to myself and uh, as i say with your uh, my home place inheritance I haven't got the physical book yet, but uh, I saw a, an excerpt and I had to rush. I had to get the ebook. And uh, the thing that struck me was what you actually put together being a diary. It was like as if you got a diary, a journal uh, from your childhood and you move through. And as you say about the kitchen, the, the story moves into the kitchen. Bang, once you're in the kitchen and talking about food, there's the recipe in the book and how to go about it, how you can do it now. And I loved how this went on. And I think a lot of people reading it would be like myself. It was like taking me back to my childhood and uh, all the stories. And I thought, yeah, I could have written that, but you've done it so beautifully. And that was my introduction. I had the microphone off. So it's lovely. And I've had people ask, uh, where on earth do you get this book? Oh, well, um, you can get it from the publishers, um, Blackstaff Press and Newton Arts in Northern Ireland. Um, it's It's been put on Amazon, but there's a few problems with that. I would just go straight to Blackstaff Press, blackstaffpress.com, 
and you'll get the, the, the copy there. Just put in my name, Susan Farrell, and the book will come up immediately. In the comments after the show, I will actually put the link up. Normally, I would have had a, a so excuse me that I didn't have it up on the banner, but I will put it up in the comments so people uh, do. But Blackstaff Press uh, and your own name, Susan Farrell, as yeah. I did, it came up uh, very easily uh, on the search on the Google. And it's well worth getting. It's an absolute delight. Um, and this, it looked like as if it was a bit of a community project, the way it came together. Is that right? Um, it came together in that, uh, yes, there is a community aspect because I was, I wanted to go back and test all the recipes and make sure I had got them right. But it's very important if there's recipes in a book that people are able to reproduce them and that they taste good and they're delicious. So all of my friends, and uh, I'm a cold water swimmer, I'll be going for a swim after this. I've just been bringing, um, yesterday we had dal on the beach. Other days we've had soda bread on the beach. We've had apple tart on the beach. And to, to let my friends taste these things and um, let me know if the recipe works. So I got loads of support from the community like that. Um, the most important thing about food is sharing it. You know, it's breaking bread together. Uh, to me, this is what the kitchen table is about. And yes, I've shared it with the community and met my cold water swimming friends. Well, uh, thanks. As I said, uh, uh, it's a brief introduction because I, I was so keen for people to get your book. We're going to have Susan back hopefully in December to talk a lot more about the content of the book because there's so much in it uh, with this tradition. And it's going to be very much what people will be relating to in December. So thanks for this brief uh just a reminder there my home place inheritance if you see the cover that's it thanks very much for being with us briefly uh susan it's such a delight and i'm so looking forward to you coming back i hope you'll be back with us in december and yes, chat, really we'll get right into the book then thanks very much for your patience and waiting for us thank you so that was uh susan again i'll put up the uh link and uh this is the uh, there we go there's the cover again now as i actually say uh each week on this during these sunday sessions there's a lot that i actually leave out partially to make room for guests if i can we can get them and for your comments um that i am uh, creating a she water and tree folklore course uh, to take these uh, subjects uh, a lot further, and uh, I was—I've been working a lot on it in the last couple of days. Uh, but um, for a while, there's not going to uh, be a course fee on the um, course that I'm doing—the uh, uh, the she water and tree folklore. Uh, I invite you to subscribe uh, to the course um, because Carol Crawley Labyrinth Gardens, the Sunday sessions I'm doing now. Uh, the costs are brought to you by your subscriptions and donations because there are subscriptions I have to pay to make this possible. But the course media will be an ever increasing topic. There'll be videos, podcasts, slides, ebooks, and eventually we'll get together with some Zoom like course meetings to go into greater depth than I do on these uh, Sunday sessions. Uh, but to subscribe, uh, there's a link to the uh, Patreon page just a pound, euro, or a dollar a month or more. And uh, there's links all over the Karen Crawley uh, website. 
and uh, our message the subscribers very shortly explaining how to access and use the course. I'm going to put the first few bits up in the next week or two, so we'll be getting started. So thank you for being subscribers. And uh, anyway, I'll, I'll just keep the show uh, going for you. Uh, let's see uh, a quick look at your comments before I, I kind of I tell you what's coming up. Uh, Donna, I'm going to order the book. Yeah, sounds lovely. It really is. It really is worth it. It's a, it's just a joy. Uh, there we go. Uh, oh, Suzanne, I going to order the book. Uh, be beautiful stories. Claire's uh, beautiful stories. Saying Claire, Blackstaff Press. Susan Fowler, you've got it there, Robin. That's it. Uh, you're on the way to it. Fantastic. Um, right. Yeah, you'll love it. And um, anyway, what's coming up? Uh, Sunday sessions next week. Ohm's always very popular. And uh, so the 29th next Sunday is the divination story. We're covering the Ohm using using the Ohm uh, with the divination. I don't need those in here. Um, and then on the 6th of December, we've got the December traditions. And uh, that's uh, when Susan will be back. I hopefully and be going very much uh, into more in the depth of the book and how you apply that to the traditions. And then the 13th of December that um, the donor uh, uh, was saying about there is, uh, I haven't got the picture because I've run out of pictures I was allowed to put up, but we've got Austin Ellen and Reindeer Folklore. That's coming up on the 13th uh, of uh, December. And then on the 20th of December, we got the Yule Log Tales. So I think that's uh, not far. I think we've pretty much done a lot. So thank you uh, very much, um, Donna Johnson, Trista Haggerty, Susan Farrell were our guests. Uh, thank you for being the guests. And uh, we'll have them back uh, in December, all three of them in different poses. And uh, I'd like uh, you to ask those of you who are watching this uh, as an archive after this is being live, as a lot of people do later today, this evening. Um, please keep commenting. I always look at the comments and uh, answer them as best that I can. So enjoy uh, a safe week um, and uh, have a week full of, it's starting to get chilly out here. So <laughs> it, it, although the sun is beautiful, uh, the temperature is going down. So I think this will be the last time I'm out here. But enjoy a safe week full of wonder, inspiration, celebration, and all those enchantments. So until next Sunday, play well. Bye-bye. <laughs>